Welcome to another T-Rex talk, and this one we are talking about totalitarianism. This is a topic I wanted to get a little bit more into in last week's podcast, which was sort of about totalitarianism. It was a, an article, we we're mostly talking about an article in Slate about radio usage and how uh, there wasn't enough government oversight on radio usage, and therefore it could be misused. And a bunch of you wrote to me about uh, that article and pointed out that I left off any of the technical errors uh, in the article, and I really only talked about the ideological issues with the article. That is true. There was no time to go down the rabbit hole of technical errors, uh, the first of which was the premise that the January 6th rioters and insurrectionists were able to use their radios with complete and total secrecy inside of Washington, D.C., uh, which is preposterous. If you think about Washington, D.C., you will recall that it is the place where all the foreign embassies uh, and the NSA and the CIA and the headquarters of all the other intelligence agencies are. So, uh, yeah, all scraps of radio traffic across the entire frequency are recorded all the time in Washington, D.C. All of the things that the January 6th folks were saying in their little handheld Walmart blister pack radios has been recorded and processed and stored. And if there was anything really uh, fantastic that was being done on radio in the clear on January 6th, uh, we would have heard it by now. But that wasn't the point of the article. The point of the article was not trying to be a well-researched technical think piece. Uh, it was a hastily slapped together, fear-mongering, emotional feel piece because there's this dangerous area of personal freedom that Americans still have with private and amateur radio, and they might misuse it. That's reason enough to assume the worst and take it away forever. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about totalitarianism. Now, the textbook definition is usually uh, this idea that totalitarianism is when one person or one party has control of the government. But that doesn't actually hold up. A state can be assumed to have total authority over the lives of its citizens, even if it is run by multiple parties or by bureaucrats, uh, as is often the case. Totalitarianism is when the state itself has unlimited jurisdiction, when it can control the totality of life. Obviously, there will always be physical limits to a state's power, but totalitarianism is when there are no limits to the scope of its authority. Now, this is a huge temptation to anyone in government, or actually to anyone that's in power. It requires a tremendous amount of deliberate energy to stop mission creep and power grabs from the top, and it requires even more deliberate energy for the people at the bottom to keep on carrying the weight of their own responsibilities and not just hand them off to other people in government. Now, history shows that this is the trend, that governments get bigger and that people get lazier. But it's not just a natural inclination. A lot of people have written very positively about these gigantic absolute sovereign states. A good example would be Thomas Hobbes in his book Leviathan. He wrote that government must be absolute. There's no part of human existence that his governmental system must not touch or control. And that lines up really well with a lot of the ideas that we have today. There's a bunch of people today who demand equality, and not just equality of opportunity or equality of principles, but equality of outcomes, which requires total control. In order to have equality in everything, you must have total application of everything. And we've seen these ideas even in the medical sphere, where, you know, there's a certain type of vaccine that doesn't work unless everybody has it. 
Abortion access is no good unless everybody has it. That's why in California and in Oregon you see protesters who are trying to burn down their own state court buildings and state house buildings, even though they live in states where the ability to murder babies is legally protected. But they can't be happy unless everybody is capable of murdering babies. Communists say that communism doesn't work unless every nation is communistic because the free market in other nations will just undermine things in the socialist states. That's one of the reasons that communism hasn't been properly tried yet. can only be properly tried if it is universally applied. And of course, gun control doesn't work unless everybody has gun control. Chicago's really strict gun laws do not work at preventing crime because Chicago citizens can just go and buy guns in Indiana. Now, obviously, it's a little more complicated than that than your average gun control advocate thinks. But somehow this idea persists that Indiana's freely available guns and gun freedom somehow makes Chicago a gun violence zone, even though all these guns don't make Indiana a gun violence zone somehow. And I started writing uh, some notes for this article on Friday, and I wrote that a lot of Illinois gun control advocates are more angry about Indiana's lack of gun violence than actual murders in Chicago. And right after I wrote that, there was a mass shooting incident in Indiana over the weekend. By now, you probably know the details. There was a guy who took a rifle and some magazines full of ammunition into a mall and began shooting at the people in the food court, and he managed to murder three and injure one. And then a good Samaritan was able to draw his pistol and from a distance of 40 yards kill the attacker. He was able to neutralize the threat. Still pretty early in knowing all the details, but apparently fired 10 times, 8 hits, 40 yards, with a pistol, response time, 15 seconds. That is just fantastic. But the response to what has happened is even more amazing, but not in a good way. The same people who were shocked and outraged in Chicago and the rest of the country that Indiana had permitless carry and they got permitless carry this year are even more outraged that it has just saved many lives in that mall. The total gun control advocates hate the idea of permitless carry because it means that you don't have to ask the government's permission to carry. That means that government doesn't control this. Total control advocates don't like the idea of something that the government doesn't control. And I don't want to just be generic about people on Twitter and people on Reddit, but very specific spokespeople for every town and for Brady and Shannon Watts were very critical that people in Indiana now have the ability to protect themselves, and then they were extremely critical of the very specific person who stopped a mass murder. It's actually shocking to me some of the stuff that they were posting, and obviously Shannon Watts may have gone a little bit too far because she deleted one of her own tweets, uh, pointing out that the Second Amendment has failed when citizens are able to defend themselves. It's not exactly what uh, she typed, but that was exactly what she was saying. She deleted the tweet. I could hardly believe it myself. And of course, this 15-second response time of a private citizen with no carry permit carrying legally because of the constitutional or at least permitless carry bill that Indiana passed earlier this year that went into effect just days ago. If you compare that 15-second response time of that private citizen with no formal training to the hour to two hours that the Uvalde Police Department was waiting inside the school where children were being murdered. 
well, it's just not a good look for totalitarianism. That's why gun control advocates are so horrified that somebody was able to protect himself and the people around him so efficiently, so effectively, so safely, and so quickly. It undermines everything that they are trying to accomplish with, you know, totalitarianism. Because totalitarianism isn't just total control over some people, it really needs to have total control over the total population to work, uh, in quotation marks. Because everyone can see that the system doesn't really work. Again, see the Uvalde police response to a child murderer, hours of waiting outside, complete and total failure, and the civilian response of 15 seconds to a similar situation in a crowded mall. All of the current failures of the system, like the ever-decreasing academic scores in government schools, are never described as a failure of the system, but some sort of lack of resources or not enough control in the system. Uh, I probably should not mention the unspecified virus of unknown origins because that will cause our podcast to be even more shadow banned on Spotify, but... That event and the response of that event exposed a lot of failures of the current systems. And people interpret these failures in different ways. Either the government lockdowns were a failure because the government had too much control over stuff that was none of their business and messed it up, or uh, the other side pitches it this way. The government did not have enough control because everything is their business. Governments around the world were able to pick who is an essential worker and put everyone else under house arrest. Now, everyone kind of agrees that total government uh, would not be super fun. And so the argument is usually made that total government is totally necessary. That's why there's always talk about these massive, intractable problems like racism, gun violence, income inequality, viruses, planet-wide climate change. They require total control to fix. Even the book Leviathan assumes this. Thomas Hobbes' case is that an absolute sovereign is the least bad way to deal with people. Now, he famously had a pretty dim view of human nature. Some people blame John Calvin for that, but Calvin and Hobbes didn't actually have a whole lot to do with each other uh, until the comic strip. But this idea that governments need more power and more authority continues even though the failures are really obvious. And countries where this idea that the government has total responsibility end up being much more heavy-handed in government. So, for example, the first COVID lockdowns in Uganda made it a crime for non-emergency vehicles to be out on the road, period. I personally have friends in Uganda that had to pay ambulance drivers to go get them groceries or they would have starved. I have friends in Victoria, Australia, who have been arrested for incitement because they left their homes or because they criticized government policy or because they started political parties that would limit government. And the penalties for incitement go all the way up to life in prison. Now, in America, we have more obstacles to a totalitarian government than most other countries. We have the Bill of Rights, and we have an ongoing expectation in this country that citizens have rights. But gradually, we have lost the idea that rights pre-exist. The government has gradually taken on more and more responsibility to the point that a lot of folks now believe that rights come from the government. So among the state's total responsibility to manage your life is the responsibility to grant you your rights when they make sense. Now, once a population believes that the state is so sovereign, so absolute, so totally responsible that it is the one that grants rights, 
That state has taken on a lot more authority and will begin exercising a lot more actual physical power over its citizens. That is why Australia is now punishing people who question the state. That is why Australia is now punishing people who film protests against the government. That's why they're now punishing people who start new political parties with the platform of decreasing government power. That is (laughs) treasonous to totalitarians. And it's worth pointing out that states don't become totalitarianistic overnight. This happens very slowly as the government begins taking over more and more things that are not its business, moving more and more outside of its actual legal jurisdiction, taking more and more responsibilities away from individuals and then demanding the power to handle those things, well, inevitably really badly. The assumption that government has ultimate responsibility takes root in people's minds long before the government has any actual ultimate physical power. When the state owns education, that's when things start to get really bad. When the state is able to educate all future voters, future politicians, and future bureaucrats, this idea gets very firmly rooted, and then it becomes very hard to push back against. And the proponents of totalitarianism are very annoyed by outliers, no matter how small the group of outliers actually is. Even though this tiny group of outliers may be no real threat to the actual physical state, they are a very real threat to the idea. A single 22-year-old man in a mall in Indiana is able to completely destroy the idea that formally trained, tax-supported, officially badged police officers are going to be better at protecting you than your own friends and neighbors. Gun control advocates are hopping mad because that idea has been critically damaged. Homeschoolers are another dangerous outlier. There's somewhere between 2 and 4% uh, homeschoolers out there, which is not very much. But they're very dangerous because for decades they have been proving that not only do you not need the government to educate children, but that average moms and dads can do a better job. And the number of homeschoolers doubled during 2020 and 2021 because the system failed so hard during lockdown season that a bunch of people wanted to get on board with this idea. Now, I predict a greater crackdown on homeschooling in the coming years. Uh, Teachers' unions are definitely opposed to it, but there has been so much damage done to the idea that government is best at educating children that has been done, ironically, by teachers' unions that didn't want to reopen schools during 2020, that people are willing to try any alternatives. And homeschooling is a lot more attractive than it used to be. And so homeschooling is a much greater threat to the idea of totalitarianism than ever before. Now, there's a phrase that's going around, uh, particularly the gun community, but I see it across the larger uh, conservative community online, a phrase that says that we should become ungovernable. I actually want to push back against that a little bit because being ungovernable is just an argument for more government being necessary. Because if you cannot govern yourself, you will be governed by somebody else. That is how a lot of the arguments for totalitarianism actually get made. A far better battle cry for us would be to become self-governing. Self-government proves that total government 
is not necessary. The Indiana Mall shooting proves that people are better at defending themselves than cops are at protecting them. And that's, <laughs> again, there are people on Reddit and Twitter, not just random predators and Twitterers, but specific spokesmen for large gun control groups who are saying, in essence, that they would rather people die in the pursuit of totalitarian ends than be saved by individuals who have been freed from government control. That is what they are saying. Because people who educate themselves, people who defend themselves, people who feed themselves, people who govern themselves are the ultimate argument against totalitarianism. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, I recorded an episode called The Tree of Liberty, talking about the French Revolution, the American Revolution, comparing those. And this is a good example of this idea. And the American colonists were self-governing. They proved that they did not need British tyrannical government. Uh, first of all, they proved it legally, in principle, and then they proved it practically in battle. The French Revolution was very different. It was people who were ungovernable. They refused to be governed by the king, and they demanded that they be governed by a bigger, badder government, which they got. They proved that they could not be governed both in their lawless overthrow of the king and then also by the reign of terror that followed. Now, of course, the French revolutionaries did have a very legitimate beef with their very tyrannical king, but they removed him in a very unlegitimate way. I've said this before. If you remove a tyrant justly, you get less tyranny. If you remove a tyrant unjustly, you get more tyranny. Now, today, a lot of us talk about the American and French revolutions uh, as if they are the same. And they certainly had a few things in common. But even though they're treated as very similar events by a lot of historians, they were, in the ways that matter most, complete opposites. Yes, there were people resisting their own governments, but one of the groups resisted a king using the lower magistrates and elected officials and laws that were on the books the other just killed as many of the old guards as possible. One of these revolutions was lawful, one was not. One bore incredibly good fruit, the other bore horrifically bad fruit. One was entirely predicated on restoring the rule of law and forming a legal framework that would limit the size of government, and the other was just to eradicate everything that had come before and build a bigger, more giant government that could take care of everybody because it would have literally no limits. The French revolutionaries changed literally everything that had come before. They even threw out the old calendar, started at year zero, the whole bit. The only thing they kept from the previous regime was the tyrannical rule started by the monarchy. The idea that it is the government's responsibility to take care of the people, get rid of the inconvenient ones, and continue to grow in its power and might endlessly. Obviously, the results were not pretty. Now today, we're wrestling with a lot of these same ideas. There's a lot of arguing about Republican versus Democrat, liberal versus conservative, but I posit that there's basically only two sides, those that want government to be bigger and those that want government to be smaller. Those that want government to have limits, those that want government to be unlimited in its scope and in its authority. And fortunately, we are at this moment still in an ideological war between these two ideas, for the most part. Now, ideas have consequences. And in many ways, the idea that the state has total authority is far more terrifying than a state that actually has complete physical control. A people who believe that their civil state is sovereign cannot be free. 
a people who believe that the state is absolute in its authority and unlimited in its jurisdiction will suffer horrific consequences from that government. The good news is that when it is simply a war of ideas, those outliers who can demonstrate their ability to govern themselves have tremendous power at disproving the totalitarian arguments. So, this was a shorter episode this week, but uh, I do kind of have a homework assignment. I want you to consider, what is your standard for declaring that government has limits? What arguments can you make for the limited jurisdiction of a finite civil state. This is a much better way to determine who you're going to vote for in the midterms than basic party lines. Figure out your standards for limited government and then go out and be self-governing.